Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Conversation with Calvin Weed the Species. It's Friday, uh, June 4th uh, at one um, thirty or so. Uh, and this really is not so much conversation with Calvin as it is a panel discussion, such an interesting panel discussion of, for, and by Gen Z. Uh, and the panelists are mostly Gen Z with one baby boomer, uh, Donald G. James. Uh, we will introduce momentarily. My, my opening uh, monologue, and I just started to say this to everybody before we started to record, is it, it is an amazing feat to bring, um, bring you all together, uh, you Gen Z people together on, on a Friday afternoon uh, uh, in the beginning of summer at one o'clock to do this. And, and it's your commitment uh, and uh, it's your, uh, you know, a sense of a sweet decor and, and it's above and beyond the fact that m most, of the, most of us here, Donald, are, are Rutgers people, but that has nothing to do with anything. Um, um, so, uh, it, it, it's um, my own personal impression, and I, I mentioned this too before we went on air, uh, why we do this because uh, of the pandemic. Uh, and if there's any one generation in world history that will need more support and the fallout from the pandemic will be probably a generation long. Uh, but the fallout will be that um, my opinion is Gen Z is going to need lots of support and understanding because this has been beyond our comprehension. And, and the fact that you're all here representative of Gen Z. And the other thing I, I said also before we went on the air, I should have saved this for when we went on the air, uh, it is uh, you all are very young people. And, and when you look at your uh, accomplishments, uh, what you've accomplished, uh, uh, three of you current students. Um, one in particular has never even been on campus. Victoria, never been on campus, uh, a, a freshman. But when you, you look what, and, and Rachel is, is a recent graduate, but when you look, I, I said to myself, well, these people should be 40 or 50 years old. And they're not. They're young, dynamic people, all successful. So uh, that's my uh, Johnny Carson monologue. Of course, most of you don't know who Johnny Carson is. Donald does. Thank that. By the way, that's why I have you here. We're comrades, Donald, uh, in the age department. Uh, uh, and, and this is not one of these real formal panel. This is to get a lot of really interesting information out and, and you folks jumping in. So in, in the history of panels, this is kind of loosey, uh, loosey goosey, uh, but it, it's really uh, going to be packed. I think with a lot of really interesting stuff that you can quote, take the bank kind of thing. So I guess the beginning, it's always good to do a beginning, uh, would be to do a little bit of a, a brief bio. And, and first, uh, I, I really want to thank Donald James for being here. Donald is the author uh, of manners and and i'll say um uh manners uh, will take you where brains and, and money won't uh and, and i've been reading it 
and personally, and, and again, I call it as I see it, uh, there's material in here that should be standard operating procedure and readings for your generation and other young generations, basically for people under 30 and for people over 30, because it will help you navigate life. Uh, I've, I've been reading it. I've got lots of notes here. We're not going to go into my notes now, but another time. But anyway, uh, uh, Donald was, you, you take it away, uh, Donald, you've been at NASA for 35 years and what a thrill for you to join us. So let's do some, some bios now, Donald. Thank you. I think you covered, you know, some of the basics. I, I do find it interesting how we make distinctions and labels to describe ourselves, you know, what's important. You know, the older I've gotten, you know, I've taken a look at it a little bit differently. Um, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I deeply care about people and particularly uh, students because I was one and I know how much I value the support and help of uh, older people in my life who help shape me who I am. I valued my parents, including my mother, who was a big inspiration for the book that I wrote, that I wrote after she passed away in 2017. Um, but nevertheless, we tend to, you know, go with basics. Um, I'm Donald Gregory James. I'm 64 years old. I'm overweight. I wear hearing aids. I wear glasses. I've been married for 32 years. I've got two kids, 28 and 25, that were empty nesters. I spent 35 years at NASA. I have a degree in international relations from USC. That's the University of Southern California, not South Carolina. I have a master's degree in economics from American University. I studied at Cambridge University in England. I studied at Harvard University in Cambridge. Um, and um, I, uh, I began NASA in 1982, uh, not wanting to work for NASA initially. Um, that story is in the book, but eventually the 1986 Challenger accident uh, deeply impacted me and changed my life uh, to where I decided NASA is where I wanted to hang my hat. I can count on my hand five of the top things that have the most meaning to me in terms of accomplishments, but one of them is uh, after giving a talk at uh, University of California, Berkeley many years ago um, with some colleagues, a young lady came up to me, um, I didn't know her, and she said, I probably don't remember her, and she was right. She said, um, well, you came to my seventh grade class and you talked about NASA, and I was so inspired by that. And she was at Cal Berkeley in graduate school, actually getting two degrees in chemical electrical engineering. There is nothing more gratifying that in, in my life than to see direct evidence that because I showed up and did something that it had an impact like that. And when you have that happen to you, um, many teachers and professors have probably had this happen. I can tell you it is life changing. Um, I think I struggled to keep from crying. I probably failed, uh, but it was a very moving experience. My book that I wrote is my attempt to offer 
things that I learned from my years of experience, things that I learned from my mother and things that I learned from my training. My trepidation about the book is I didn't want to come across as, you know, here's this old guy telling you young people how to think and how to live and how to behave in order to be successful. At the same time, I wanted to say, and this is where Pink Suits come from, Calvin mentioned that earlier, it's chapter four of the book. Try this on, you know, pink suits. I don't wear pink suits. I know, you know, people can wear them now. People may not think twice about it, but it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor to mean try something on that might be a little different than what you're used to just to see how it fits because it might be helpful. And so the whole concept of looking at manners in the, from a different point of view is about that. It's about re-examining how we actually show up in the world in a total sense. And I don't, so what you'll find is when I talk about manners, I'm not talking about politeness and etiquette, which are important, right? Please and thank you being on time, writing thank you notes, those are all important. I'm talking about things that are a little bit more challenging perhaps that you probably know very well, but perhaps didn't think about it in the lens of manners. So I'd like to just end this by saying that the distinction between boomers and Gen Zs is a made up distinction that we like to do because we just do that, right? Just like, you know, I'm a different color and ethnicity than other people, and yet we are part of the human species. The conversation is Calvin is the, the species, so I want to focus on that. So. The, the, the image that I would like to suggest is that our relationship, meaning the relationship between those of us who are older than others, can be viewed like a bow and arrow, right? So a bow and arrow has the, the bow part. I wish I had one to show. And then there's the string. So us old people, we're like the string. And the younger people like the bow. You know, the bow likes to flail out and go out and do things. And they don't really, you know, they're experimenting and doing things in the spring. You know, we're a little more conservative and we like to hold things together, maintain control. And so the interesting thing about my analogy is that the only way that the arrow is going to fly, which is the arrow of progress, the arc of human progress, is if they are tied together. Right? The string is useless, dangling, and the bow can't do anything by itself. It's when you tie them together, together, that we can make the arrow launch. So this is a two-way street. So I try to go to great lengths in my book to invite people who read this to share with me how they would interpret this and how they would use this. And I'm, when I speak to groups, I'm as equally interested in their views of not only my manners, but the manners generically as well as what they see in the world. So that's how we're going to learn. But I appreciate greatly this conversation, and I am very excited. Same here. Um, um, you know, uh, I, I can't verbalize how thrilled I am that you're here, Donald. So next up, bio, uh, Rachel Mang Brown. And, and uh, um, take it away, Rachel. Uh, I'm also thrilled that you're here with your background and you're the only quote graduate um, 
here. Yeah. Um, so I think the nice thing about my position too, is that, uh, I'm a millennial, but I'm kind of on the younger side. So, um, I work with a lot of Gen Zers, so I get to kind of be in that world, but I also worked in the corporate world. So boomers, um, I also sat in that area for a little bit, but like, uh, like Donald said, it's all kind of just titles. Um, but I'm the sole proprietor of the legacy brand, a company I started shortly after college, um, along with a co-founder and director in Loot Agency, which is a new talent agency formed to represent creators, um, and also in esports and collegiate and professional sports. And then I also sit in a director role for a number of um, smaller companies, along with Dome Audio, which obviously you, knew, you know a lot about, um, with Tim Wright and obviously our team that we have over there. Um, but I'm really excited to be actually to be sitting on the panel and kind of talking to you guys a little bit more about not only like from, you know, my perspective, Donald's perspective and a Gen Z perspective, but even um, how I think Gen Zers have really pushed the boundaries of what perception is and also perspective um, really about whether it's in marketing, whether it's in like everyday life, what's happened from COVID, from like lockdown, remote and work from home. Um, I think, you know, Gen Zers per se are uh, kind of a generation that's challenged a lot of what we saw and what we believed before and kind of changed, you know, how perception is and what isn't what we see. Um, so I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you. Next, uh, Claudine, uh, and, and I did want to uh, editorially say that uh, I had met Claudine in, in August, uh, how the mysteries of life, and, and she and I met on LinkedIn, and, and it went from a couple messages to a, to a phone call, uh, and then uh, my daughter-in-law, and take this in, Rachel, my daughter-in-law was here, she's in social media, and, and this was August, and I yelled to her uh, uh, in, in the kitchen, uh, named Delilah. I said, Delilah, what is this thing called Zoom? <laughs> and she laughed and she came in here uh, and, and she, she came in here and she hooked up the Zoom and she spent some time showing me how to do it. And all I could do was like blinders on, focus on what she did. And when I did a mock recording, uh, it, it spit out a, an MP4, and I said, "Gee, I, I know enough that I could take this MP4 and stick it anywhere." And then the next day, I I, I messaged Claudine uh, and 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 said, "Hey, could we zoom?" And while I was talking to Claudine uh, and and how eloquent and worldly and so beyond her years, uh, the light bulb immediately went off in my head why don't I just interview Claudine and other people like Claudine who are interesting and have, and that's how conversation with Calvin was born. Anyway, Claudine, take it away. Yeah. I can't believe it's almost a year since we've known each other. Yeah. It's gone so fast, even though it was a COVID year, but hi everyone. I'm Claudine Smith. I'm a rising junior at Rutgers university, New Brunswick, and I'm also on the track and field team. I pride myself on like being very well-rounded. So I try to be involved in anything I can be. Such things are being the video editor for Calvin and also the Center for Women Business in Rutgers and also being an, uh, our fun um, ambassador. And I'm on the Student ed, um, Athlete Advisory Committee. Perfect. Next, Dakota. And I also want to do an editorial thing with Dakota because Dakota and I met a year and a half ago on, on LinkedIn. And uh, that led, uh, I guess, to some phone calls. And then that led to um, 
that led to Dakota and I actually doing a program for Rutgers University. Uh, um, and during all the, the, the friendship that Dakota and I had established, and it was great, we had all this commonality and blah, blah. Uh, one day I, I was talking to Dakota, I said this before we went on air, and, and I went like this, oh my God, and, and I think you were worried about me. Are you all right, Calvin? <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm fine. I just realized that I'm a half century older than you. And, and, and that bespeaks a lot of things. Uh, uh, your, the way you can bond and transition and communicate. And again, so beyond your years. But anyway, Dakota, uh, I'm so glad I met you and take it away. Me too. Well, Calvin, I really appreciate that introduction. I'm really happy to be here with all of you. And so I'm currently in the business school at Rutgers, majoring in uh, management and leadership. But, you know, that's just the title. Um, I'm also the founder of Dakotech Digital, and we're a B2B marketing and lead generation agency. And I primarily work with financial firm owners, managing directors, partners. Um, I work with clients all across the country. Also been working with Calvin to grow his show. And I mean, if there's something you need to know about me, it's really that I'm a passionate guy about just providing value, solving problems, helping others. And kind of like Rachel said, Gen Z is is kind of kind of lost right now. You know, a lot of my friends, they don't really know what they want to do. They don't really know who they are. This year really took a toll on their, you know, just kind of their mental being of finding out their purpose. And I want to be someone that can kind of help other people realize that they can do anything they set their minds to. And that's 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 what I'm about. So really great to be here with all of you. Great to have you. Next and last. Uh, I guess because you're the youngest, Victoria. Uh, uh, I met. I uh, also met Victoria not that long ago uh, uh, on LinkedIn. We connected, uh, and and I saw her background, uh, which kind of blew me away. And once again, I'm looking at your background, Victoria, and I'm saying, whoa, whoa, this is somebody 40, 50, uh, not a freshman at, at Rutgers. And, and, and not and a freshman of records who's never been on campus. So I you know, process all that. And of course, the work you've done with TikTok fascinates me because tech, tech, technology uh, fascinates me, although I don't understand it uh, whatsoever. Uh, Rachel and I discussed that, but so be it. But uh, so interesting, your background in the work you've done. Uh, so uh, I'm thrilled you're here too, Victoria. Take it away. Thank you so much, Calvin. Uh, on the note of TikTok, I got excited when I saw the little TikTok symbol in Rachel's background. I had a little rush of serotonin. <laughs> I'm very excited to see everybody here. So I am, as Calvin mentioned, I'm a freshman. So now I'm a rising sophomore. Very exciting at Rutgers. I'm a media and marketing specialist. I'm majoring in communication with a minor in Spanish and digital communication and media. I have a really strong background in foreign language, film, and journalism. I've always had a big passion for activism, and lately I've been involved in the United Nations with volunteer efforts in Kenya, but I've been working remotely with youth entrepreneurship and development in Kenya and doing a lot of their video editing. After earning my Spanish seal of biliteracy, I started my own digital marketing firm, which is VDB Digital. 
I specialize in web design, account management, photography, graphic design, email marketing, and search engine optimization. I'm currently a senator in the student assembly, and a lot of people had their doubts when they were voting. They were going, you've never been on campus before, da, 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 da. but then I said, you know, a lot of people have never been on campus before, and who better to speak for those people? None of us really knew what we were doing. We kind of had to learn as we go, but I'm very proud of all I've done in student government. I'm working on a Zoom safety bill right now. It passed eboard. It's going to go through the assembly soon. On that note, student mental health is really important to me. So I started RU Heals for my digital activism project for my leader fellowship. And I was very happy we took digital home, sorry, we took home the digital activism project oh. of the year award. I was very happy about that. And I'm also on a creative side, I'm an avid actor with a big passion for public speaking. I've been in a lot of plays, a lot of films, and I've built a following of over 1.8 million on TikTok with a lot of comedic and heartfelt and educational content. I've tried to leverage that into a platform for activism, but also for business. And I have a strong interest in journalism and in, you know, having interesting conversations with people like all of you. Ultimately, my goal is to be a well-rounded Renaissance woman and a global citizen who takes effective altruism to a new level. Wow. 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 Hey, uh, Donald, you would understand this. Uh, when listening to all of you, uh, I, I, uh, there's, a, there's a book some of you may or may not have read that uh, it was written by Aldous Huxley. I, I quote him all the time. Donald, uh, it's a brave new world. When you listen to this, the, these, these young people, it is a brave new world. So uh, let's jump in to, to topic number one, uh, social media, broad topic and how it contributed to your success and how you use it. Uh, some of you may have touched on it a little bit, but uh, let's just talk about the, the world of social media and, and, and we'll start off appropriately with Rachel. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, you know, obviously we've had social media for quite some time. Um, and I think that it was really the lockdown that kind of shifted everyone's like interest and shifted everyone's attention to social media. Um, actually, like last year, um, when TikTok started to get a little bit bigger, um, TikTok signed me as one of their creators for Learn on TikTok. So I was an official partner for quite some time and I helped create content on the career side and I'm still involved with them as well, obviously. Um, but I think it was during that time we really realized that everyone was home, they were stuck looking at their phones. So TikTok and other social media grew. And that's where you saw a lot of creators, you know, like boasting these like huge numbers of millions of followers on TikTok and things like that. Um, and I think that, you know, that's when, um, like Victoria was saying, like activism really started because people were looking at their phones. So you saw like Black Lives Matters became something that like no one could ignore anymore and other like social activism. Um, so I think that the rise in social media is really attributed a lot to everyone like being home and being stuck on their phones. Okay. Uh, Claudine, uh, by the way, uh, one quick Thing about Claudine, since almost all of us are, are Rutgers, uh, Claudine is a record holder for Rutgers University in the triple jump. Thank you. <laughs> and Claudine was one of ten athletes invited last weekend to complete to compete in the NCAA regionals uh, in Florida, uh, which is a huge, huge honor. 
And of course, I, I watched for a couple of hours the whole traffic. But anyway, Claudine, social media. Yes, as Rachel was saying, it has been around for a long time. I remember I started with Instagram when I was about 11. So in a way, I feel like I'm kind of getting tired of Instagram and social media in a way. Um, I don't have Snapchat anymore and I never really got on the Twitter wave. I do have TikTok because it's just funny, but I wouldn't say for me, I have any ambition to be famous, uh, like social media famous. Um, but I do understand it's like a way that a lot of our generation, even the older generations connect. And as Rachel said, this year was a lot of, was a time when especially older gener generations got on it to, you know, see people that they haven't seen in a while because of the COVID pandemic. But social media, I'm not sure if it will be forever. Like, I'm not sure if there will be a time where everybody gets tired of it or just like the older ones, like Instagram start to fade away and TikTok becomes even more powerful. Just kind of like how Facebook was the main thing, I guess, 10 years ago. And now it's not as much, but yeah. That's my opinion on Instagram and social media in general. Dakota. Yeah, um, I think you guys all brought up some really great points. Um, so me, I look at social media as kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because it can either present the most opportunity that you've ever had in your life, and it's kind of just right there in front of you, or it can distract you. Um, it can force you to compare yourselves to others. It's actually one of the leading causes of obviously a lot of mental health um, disorders and things, especially in my generation. However, everyone here, we've, we've taken advantage of it to connect with people, to build our networks, to build our brands, to talk to people from all across the world. And I think that's the most powerful thing about social media. Me personally, uh, I'm huge on LinkedIn. I really love the platform. You know, it's the world's largest database of professionals over 800 million people from literally over 200 countries in the world. And for me, I just think the power of being able to connect with someone who's thousands of miles away from you and to just get to know people that you never would have met before. I think that's the true power of social media, but I think it can take a dark turn when people are using it for kind of like self justification, um, validation, and also comparing their life to others when a lot of what they're seeing is, you know, not really, it's a facade to begin with. So it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword, but I, I love social media and if you take advantage of it, it can truly change your life forever. Just a quick comment on, on what Dakota said about thousands of miles. Dakota and I, a few weeks ago, uh, actually it's all Dakota's work, but we interviewed Shinzi Sylvester Nikkei from the Cameroon. And this was Dakota's orchestration. Uh, and it was a, a wonderful experience for me to learn what Chinzi is trying to do in the Cameroon to set up health centers for women and children in rural Cameroon where there is not enough health. And this was Dakota's cause and this was Dakota's connection. And I, as a journalist, got involved. But it was all your work. But... Uh, here, and, and I kind of pinched myself because when the three of us, Dakota, were uh, discussing what we could do to try to raise awareness for health concerns, because we are one species, uh, 
and I pinch myself because he's, you know, four or 5,000 miles away and we're just sitting chatting like we are now. But that was, that was you. Uh, Victoria, social media. As you know, I have a lot to say on this subject. So it's funny, Dakota, you got it exactly right with the double-edged sword. I was thinking of that exact phrase. I got so excited when someone else was thinking that too. And I think also what comes to mind for me with social media is the famous Spider-Man quote from Uncle Ben, which is, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And I would even amend that to say, with any power comes great responsibility because so much of what you put out there could affect someone in such a positive way or such a negative way. So I think people have become more cognizant of that power and how emotional social media can be because you would think you're staring at something on a screen, it would be somewhat detached, but we all know there's a human on the other side of that. Some people are hyper aware of that and some people forget about that. But I think to your point, we've all used social media to our advantage and chosen to see the good in it. And I think just two examples that come to my mind as far as it doing, you know, a whole lot of good is I remember in my first few weeks being in the TikTok creator program, I was thinking, you know, how do I leverage this to a point where I can do something good or give back? So I was brainstorming a bunch of ideas with, you know, the team there. And I also had heard that MTV was starting on working on this mental health action day. And this was a month or so, or two or three months back. And so I was thinking, oh, how can I use, you know, my content creation, but then also work with the mental health action day, which has been the largest cross sector effort to shift mental health from awareness to action, because so much, so often you'll see these infographics on Instagram, you know, like anxiety is real, depression is real. And of course they are. We all know that at that, at this point, it's stating the obvious, but the question becomes, what are you going to do about it? So all these companies like this meditation app, Headspace, uh, CBS, MTV, we're offering all these resources for people, you know, free meditation subscriptions, free telehealth, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, oh, how do I get on board with this? So I made some uh, meditation recordings with some uh, popular TikTokers. So you get this kind of familiar voice that you're listening to. So it feels like a friend who's doing this meditation script for you. Uh, I combined that a little bit with my RU Heels, which was the initial integration of my meditation app. I took all these things I was working on, I put them together and meditate, uh, sorry, and mental health action day, was toward the end of May and it went really well. I was so happy. And some of the gifts we made to promote it got over 30 million views and just wrapping my head around that number was crazy. And I was so excited and very happy about that. And I felt like I was actually doing something. So just to feel that you're making any sort of impact and hearing from people that you're making any sort of impact is so amazing when it comes to social media. And then the other positive instance where I've seen social media do something amazing is I had this kind of moment of epiphany when I heard of Vocal ID. It's this company that records voices and it's vocal donations for people who have cerebral palsy and other speechlessness conditions. So you record your voice and they take the syllables from your voice. They'll have you read TED Talks. They'll have you read like Aesop's fables, random stuff. And they'll dissect it and they'll make customized voices for people. 
So I thought, ooh, what if I do a week-long social media campaign called Use Your Voice Week? And I get people to donate and I track it all on one platform called Clockify. So we were able to record over 9,000 sentences, which comes out to about four new voices. So that's an individual voice for four different people who don't have one. So that was really awesome to be able to do that in a week. So those are two instances I've seen it perform in such a positive way. And I think it's a true... uh, platform for change. I was going to say, even to like loop in Donald too, I know like in your book, um, you talk about like unconscious bias and just like the idea of perception and even like what you both were saying about, you know, like social media can be that double-edged sword, both good and bad um, with, you know, like presenting a certain, you know, personality in person, like to the public versus like maybe who you are behind the camera. Like you are a human, like you were saying. And I think that social media, even, you know, before I think lockdown, people had this perception that who you were was who you were on camera. Um, And I think that TikTok specifically really kind of broke down that wall and like made it a little bit more human, made it a little bit more like comedic, like made it a little bit more obvious that, you know, we're all human, that we're all having the same problems stuck in lockdown, things like that. And I think that it kind of changed that like bias of like who we are and like the perfect image and kind of made it a little bit more like well-rounded and like humanized for everyone too. Donald. I I appreciate that, Rachel. And, um, you know, I'm I'm reflecting on two things opposite ends of the continuum for me personally. And that is on the one hand, if I speak specifically about, you know, what I've written and why I've written it, and I'm not conflicted at all about wanting to share this, is that I'm aware that how people get their information is different ways and that the marketplace is crowded. So it's about, you know, attention. So part of me is a little reluctant to, you know, I remember asking my kids, I said, what's this TikTok thing? Should I try to use it? And I barely understood how to use Instagram, and I hated Twitter politically, so I didn't do Twitter. I, I got dragged into it, even though I didn't want to do it. Facebook was simple, but, you know, that, whatever that was. So, you know, on the one hand, I appreciate having, you know, this be into the world because I have something to say. I, I have a lot of convictions about it. I'm welcoming the, the critique and the feedback, and, but if it's useful to one or two people, just like the young woman that came to me and said that I made a difference, or if one person said, hey, I read your chapter on interviewing, I read your chapter on injustice, and I, I really resonated with that, then that would be great. But then I don't consider myself like a marketer or seller, but I, I know that there's all these other things to do, so it's like, I don't want to do any of this. So there's so there's a, there's a value there, and I can attest that when I did a a program for an ed tech company out of India, um, I was amazed. There was tens of thousands of students that are part of this program. I got emails about them; they were very interested, and I was surprised at that. I mean, many people bought the book as a result of that, and I said, "Well, I hope it's really helpful." So trying to reach that, you know, is important without giving like you know. This is, I don't I don't do this for the money. I do it because I want to have a conversation about the importance of this. On the flip side of it, going I think to something maybe Victoria was talking about, um, there's a chapter in here where I talk about injustice in manners. And the reason I wrote that chapter is that that something happened that was online that was 
a, a very negative reflection of me personally. This is when I was very high up in the administration. And for all I know, the person could have just been having fun and, you know, whatever it is, you know, but I was accused of something nefarious. And the context of the time was the height of me too and Cosby and all that. So everybody was programmed to believe that if there's smoke, there's fire. So that's the context in which this happened. So the, the reason I wrote the chapter about this and what I ended up doing uh, about it is because I'm not sure that if somebody was just playing around or you know felt like they just really wanted to take a, a dig at somebody, the consequences that could happen, because here's what the consequence of that was. That impacted my marriage. Wow. Because the word somebody told somebody who told somebody before they told me, told my wife, is how I heard about it. She said, well, what is this? And I had to click on this link and find this thing about, you know, this ogre named Donald who did all these nefarious things. And then, you know, I realized, oh, my God, electrons, they move fast. So what if the administrator finds out about it? Because here's what would happen potentially is that somebody in the White House would get a report about this, and the White House would say to the NASA administrators, you know, we can't have our senior leaders acting like this. And it doesn't matter whether you're guilty or not, it's the insinuation that you are that they could have, uh, what we call, send you to NASA jail, which means they reassign you to some NASA facility that nobody's ever heard of. So there's so much that can happen just because of what was posted. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate that. So whoever talked about I think maybe it was Dakota who talked about the potential downside is that this is the world in which we live. And that was, that was a traumatic experience. That was the lowest point of my entire career to figure out from a manner's perspective how to defend my character. And like I said in the book, I would have rather had a proctology exam in church than to have marched up to the ninth floor to tell Wow. A NASA administrator, a former general who worked for President Obama, that there's this report about me and it's BS. I, it, it's wow. the most painful thing I've ever gone through. So. Two sides of that, right? You know, I can I can get a good. Some of you guys got a million followers. You can just say, "Hey, I think you might like this book called Manners," and all of a sudden. A thousand books get sold. That's wonderful. There's more missing. On the other hand, you could say, God, I met this jerk named James, and you know, he's an idiot. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm 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 cancel culture. <laughs> yes, cancel culture. But what Donald and Rachel said just brought me back to something I did want to mention on while we're on the subject of social media. Rachel said something about like how it's more humanized and people like show their true selves. Like with Instagram, you know, it's just pictures usually you know, show how pretty you are and stuff. TikTok is more real, but for some reason, I feel like it's a little too real. Like there's no privacy nowadays. Like some people overshare. And I know when it was just coming up, people would be like, you have to be careful what you post on social media, especially like athletes when you're in high school that they're recruiting, they warn you about what you post on social media and it can like get your scholarship taken away or just not even have you get recruited. So for some, sometimes I just feel like people overshare on social media and don't take heed to that. It can get back to their future and your employers, whoever can see that and just have this different like view of you. Like you can present a different view to the outside. I remember 
Donald actually was saying that in his talk with Calvin that, you know, some people put on a facade and act a certain way. But if you're like a different way on social media than how you are in person and you're just, you know, telling stories, funny stories just for laughs, sometimes it's just not, you know, it's not worth it. I feel like people want to be famous so bad and they overshare, but you know, you got to be careful of your reputation. Yeah. And I think it even like goes into like this, one of the subjects that we were going to talk about later, like personal branding, like how much, you know, information you put out there, like who you are and also like how you're perceived is still part of your personal brand. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You've all said that again. Um, I'm at the other uh, edge of the spectrum, yet I, I hang out on social media uh, an inordinate uh, amount of time, and, and that's how I met you all. Uh, uh, but it's interesting, when I started with Facebook 10 years ago, uh, uh, and my son kind of set me up on Facebook, but what's interesting is I, I, I only give social media what I want, and I'm very meticulous and, and people, uh, you know, I've got almost 5,000 friends on Facebook. Uh, I'm almost maxed out. But people have said to me, Calvin, you, you post every day. There's always a picture of you wearing your, your hat, your Rutgers hat, which I've been wearing for 10 years. Uh, I buy new ones, you know, they, I, or I wash them in the dishwasher. But, but people have said to me, Calvin, uh, uh, you, you've never once posted a picture uh, of your wife and 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 I said yeah that's right uh, and it's because I want to carve out uh, uh, I want to separate my my world and whatever I do on social media is is kind of business sort of and my personal life uh, I'd I leave alone yeah I, I post a million pictures of me and and Rutgers stuff and with you guys and, and all that, but that's, that's separate. And, and um, anyway, that's, that's my, my thought about that. And I, and I agree with you all. It's, it's gotta be two separate, uh, two separate worlds. And, and it's a good segue um, to talk about, Rachel just brought it up. Uh, next up, um, marketing personal uh, and, and beyond how to use and benefit and, mixed in to the whole marketing notion uh, is personal branding. And my only comment about personal branding uh, is 10 years ago, I decided to wear this. And Rachel and I, we've discussed this. Uh, I, I put this hat on 10 years ago and it's been on my head uh, every day of my life. Uh, I am proud of my alma mater uh, for so many reasons. Uh, and soon it'll be football too by the way we're getting there um but i'm, I'm proud of my alma mater and 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 it, this is an expression and i've had it on for 10 years except the day my son got married i didn't have it on but it is a personal brand and and you all can develop that but so um uh, victoria let's start with your whole discussion on on marketing personal branding etc Sure. So uh, this is kind of tied to Donald James, actually. So I remember when I was young, I kind of had a personal branding identity crisis a little bit where I was so into science, a crazy amount. I was so into everything. I had so many interests. I remember I did this genes in space competition where I had to come up with an entire experiment to go up to space about the gut microbiome. I was so interested in it. 
And then I got to a point where I thought, you know, you can be a jack of all trades and a master of none, or you can be the master of something. So I kind of quietly started to shift more over to the humanities. Science still has a big place in my heart, but I think, you know, narrowing down your interests and finding what you can be passionate about all of the time and not just during, you know, the nine to five window and that's different for everyone. And I think really hammering home that that's, you know, what you believe in, who you are as a person, your value set, I think, you know, you have your job and you have your passion and sometimes those can intersect. But I think at the end of the day, it is a Venn diagram. I try not to be one of those people who talks about work all the time, talks about work at parties, talks about work when I'm with my boyfriend, you know, I try to separate the worlds, like you said, Calvin. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, putting my image out there online, I am maybe obsessed a little bit with SEO and Googling and seeing where my results are ranking and thinking, if this were a painting in the gallery, is this what I want to put on display to the world? Is this what I want the first impression to be? If I didn't know myself, how would I react to this? So, you know, that's putting myself out there that's, you know, coming up with a consistent title for myself, kind of, if I were a company, what's my mission statement going to be, knowing my elevator pitch by heart, knowing that I want to be well-rounded, but also a master at my craft, which at this point in my life, I feel is digital communication. And that could always change. I know someone who was an expert flautist. He was in an orchestra at a very young age. He was a prodigy. And then later in life, he became this amazing geneticist. He has that left brain, right brain completely balanced and it's incredible. So I think A, accepting that your path can change is very freeing, that you don't feel locked in. And then B, finding your passion and then you know not shutting up about it. <laughs> telling people, being proud of it, not kind of shrinking, not dulling your shine is a huge part of personal branding on a technical standpoint, you know, building yourself a website. I think in, in my research for this interview, I think Donald James has a website. I think, you know, Rachel has her link tree it's, or something similar to that. Everyone's rocking it and everyone knows, you know, how to leave a digital footprint and a footprint in real life. And I think, you know, just leaving a legacy, leaving a mark is a big part of personal branding. Before I go to Dakota, uh, you said something, Victoria, that interested me. Um, uh, when I taught uh, at Rutgers, uh, there were two things I used to say in the beginning of each class. The first thing I'd say uh, is uh, you all, meaning you all will have 17 jobs in five careers by the time you hang it up. And uh, just looking at myself, I've, I've had five careers in the last 10 years. So, and two before that, but uh, point being, uh, uh, life is kind of funny, the directions and, and so forth. Anyway, Dakota, uh, marketing, branding. Yeah. Uh, so, Victoria, you brought up a lot of a lot of great points about just finding who you are and narrowing it down to that because you can't be, you know, you can't be everything at that point. You're not going to stand out in your niche. You're not going to be able to build your brand. And for me, 
I look at personal branding as kind of a digital megaphone. And it's almost like, what message do you want to put out? What identity do you want to put out to the entirety of the internet? And I see so many people, so many students at Rutgers on LinkedIn, and they just have kind of a, a generic headline. They'll just say, uh, student majoring in you know, marketing, for example. And I'm like, no, you're, you're more than just a student. You know, you're more than just a student who's majoring in something. Maybe you're a marketing enthusiast. Maybe you, you're relationship oriented. You, you provide, you, you pride yourself in providing value to others. I mean, when it comes down to it, you have to really break down who you are, look at what makes you happy. What makes you happy putting that specific topic out to the world? I mean, for me, my brand, my LinkedIn brand, well, I own a LinkedIn agency. So obviously on my LinkedIn, I'm always posting about uh, different statistics, different pieces of value that you can use to connect with other people, to network, you know, scripts, um, ways you can make your profile stand out. But I also provide a lot of value uh, with, you know, the thing that me and Calvin did with Chinji. I love just networking and meeting other people. I love posting about my experiences because I think people are just so interesting. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's so crucial to have a set personal brand because I see so many people, so many of my friends on Instagram, they're just posting pictures of them partying, you know, and is that really the, the identity that you want to put out? Is that really what you want other people to look at you as? And at the end of the day, most of the time, they're just doing that, going back to what you said before, to fit in, you know, it's kind of just a facade. They're doing it because they feel like they have to. And I encourage everyone to don't be afraid to put out who you really are on the internet. You know, don't be afraid because it's a freeing feeling and knowing that you have the identity out there that truly represents who you are. It's a very completing um, and just mindful feeling. So, Donald. I just wanted to say one thing in a narrow sense about marketing. Um, someone asked me after I finished the book, and just to be clear, I consider myself an author, not a writer. I've written one and published one book. Um, other writing is here and there stuff. Someone asked me, you know, after I finished and things were seemingly going to be well for books, is well, how, how, how much time did you put in marketing? How long have you been marketing the book? And I said, about 25 years. And they were taken aback by this. Said, what do you mean? You didn't even know you were writing the book. And I said, you have to understand that I've cultivated a relationship with a lot of people personally so that when I started just letting people know that I was doing this I had a list of over 800 people from my Rolodex for those who don't know who a Rolodex is it's a card file system you know what a Rolodex is <laughs> I, I may not have jokingly but you know that's sort of like talking about you know uh, uh, handheld phones or whatever you know old cord phones um, so, you know, people knew who I was and, you know, I, I, I had the advantage of a pretty strong network just personally, mainly through work and email and things like that. So the people who purchased the book initially, the people who already knew me and knew that um, I probably had something to say and they probably were more interested in the NASA stories that I share because I do share a lot of NASA stories. So it's a little bit of a suggestion to a lot of folks to think about 
everything you're doing leading up to something next, even if you don't know what that next is. And I think Buddy talked about, you know, what you're presenting, how you're presenting yourself, um, even though you may not think it means very much right now, it can come back and help you or haunt you. And so my brother calls it your digital tattoo. I mean, once you have the tattoo, it's, it's there. And so, um, and, and, you know, people have to decide what the relationship is going to be with it. The other thing is, and this is really the question, and I hope, and I'm just going to throw this out there, so this is a little orthogonal. In the course of what you guys are sharing, which I find deeply fascinating, I am, this is a question that I have, if you can think about it. I'm curious about where you personally struggle in the context of the questions that we're addressing. I'm interested in, in that aspect. So just have that seed planted and that you're talking, you know, if you could bring that in, um, that's one of the ways that I learned about how people handle this stuff. Rachel. Yeah, um, actually that question is really interesting. I think for myself, you know, like I built a whole business around personal branding. Um, the legacy brand, my first company out of college was really about how do we take, you know, what we believe ourselves to be and how do we get that across to our audience? How do we get that across on a resume and a job interview on the career side as athletes, even, you know, like we are somebody off the court, off the field. So how do we show our audience, the media, the fans, because they're really the ones who decide if we're popular or not. Um, how do we show them who we really are beyond just what you see? Um, and I think that, you know, like we were saying a little bit before, there is so much to say about like who you are and how you get people to perceive it. Um, and, you know, that question that you just asked, like, where do we struggle? I think, you know, every everyone, even including myself, struggle on like who you think you are and who you want to be and getting people to understand and like realize, um, you know, there's so many athletes and specifically on the athlete side, um, I think there's so many athletes and influencers as well that, you know, they're trying to do something good or something happens and it's a situation that's construed poorly, that there's that disconnect between like who you are and who you're trying to be or who your audience really sees you. And I think that, that's a really important aspect of personal branding is that like you're trying to show who you are and be authentic and be consistent in your authenticity online too. But kind of going back to what we said before, there is like that issue of, you know, when things happen or when people perceive certain things like that can affect your personal branding so much. Right. Um, and I think even like Calvin, what I was saying before, I really wanted to like share with you um, kind of like new developments. Um, one of my agencies, we're actually creating a course on personal branding. Um, we just got wind that it's going to be released in over 12 uh, universities specifically for student athletes in the uh, power five conferences. So like, again, personal branding is so important. And if we go back to like athletes and influencers, you guys already have this like platform where you actually have the ability to affect so many people, whether it's like your 1.8 million on TikTok or like as a student athlete, you may already get that blue check depending on what team you're on. So, you know, you already have this platform. So you not only have to be careful about how you present your personal brand and how people like can affect your personal brand, but also really like be more conscious and kind of have that like forethought that Dakota was talking about, about how your personal brand can be affected by other people and how your choices like what you're posting can be affected and how that all really attributes to your personal brand. Yeah, and right where Rachel ended, I was just going to say that your personal brand can definitely 
be ruined in a minute by anybody that you know in person. Um, I kind of feel like a standout in a way, but I feel like I'm part of a, min a minority in my generation who is not really for media all the way. Like I was a part of that culture in maybe I would say high school, but now I'm a part of the percentage who, like I still have my Instagram and all that, but I'm just not as active on that. So I kind of think of my personal brand in a less, less out of the digital way and more of just like who I am as a person. Cause I just believe that there's more to life than Instagram and showing everybody my, what I'm doing. So as I said, personal brand could be ruined in a minute by who you know in your own life. Because as you see celebrities, they're always having people come out out of nowhere being like, oh no, she's mean, she's this and that to ruin their reputation ever. So I think that you just have to be, you know, authentic to who is in relevant in your own life. And then um, how's it going with this? Just like, <sighs> kind of just creating a reputation for people that you know, but then also outreach, like, you know, going out for any opportunities that you can, because, you know, social media will get you far, people will see you, but you could also get there without social media in a way. Yeah, it's interesting, like how many mediums there are too. like, it's not just social media, it could be like, you know, you speaking on a podcast, or like you writing a book, or even like, in, you know, like a younger sense, it could be you going for a job, like your personal brand has to get communicated across your LinkedIn, across your resume, like even in your interview, like when they ask you that question of, like, uh, like, who are you actually? Like, you're communicating your personal brand. So it is so much more than just social media. Um, and I think really, you know, our digital age where like all we do is technology, all we use is social media. Um, it's kind of like skewed it where we think our personal brand is just online, but there's so much to be said between like, you know, even being on a podcast or being on a panel like this, or like speaking to someone that you meet at a networking event, like you're still presenting who you are. So you're presenting your personal brand. It is so much more than just what you see on a computer. Yeah. And I think it ties into Donald's manners book, because when you meet somebody in person and you present yourself as being a good person, they can go to somebody else and tell whoever they know that I met this great person, kind of like how Calvin has done for all of us. I know he talks about us all the time and tells other people how you know, we're all doing great things. And to me, that's how your personal brand gets out there. That's right. It's being able to influence the narrative about you when you're not in the room. And I told a lot of people in my day, I said, just think about the water cooler talk. And he said, she said, when you're not there to try to course correct, it kind of lives there and it gets a seed plant. And then the seed plant in people's mind about, oh, she's this way, he's this way, it opens up a channel. So we look for evidence to validate that. Even though you may be the nicest person in the world, the sixth thing you said, like, yeah, see, she was right. She is a mean person. So it's, it's, it's a lot about, you know, cultivating, I think, your manner in a genuine way so you don't have to really worry about that, right? So that there's not this other thing. It's like, you know, Victoria is an actor. My daughter is also an actor. And I can tell you, she portrays characters on stage. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> you know, but people don't know that, right? So then they, they meet her afterwards like, oh, you're really cool. Or it could be the other way around. It could be like they play this incredible person that you just 
fall in love with. And then you meet him in person. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked what you said about acting and, you know, kind of putting on a face. Cause I think that applies to so many parts of life. I think, you know, um, in com the communication field, we talk about, you know, roles and like playing different roles. And sometimes you have role conflict where maybe you're someone's friend, but then at the same time, you're someone else's like boyfriend or girlfriend or something. And sometimes those roles conflict if maybe one doesn't like the other. It's kind of a simple example. Then sometimes you have role conflict when it comes to, you know, the professional world too. Like my role is, you know, I work often with this other social media firm called Simple Social Success. And then I'm also, you know, my friend Tulasi, I'm her friend, but then one day she might need me. I might have a work call. I have to pick between the two. I can't be in two places at once. Yeah. Yeah. And because I'm a very empathetic person, and this can sometimes be to a fault, I tend to pick the friend first. Uh, but yeah, and to your point before, when you're asking about our struggles with personal branding, something I just wanted to say is that, you know, and Rachel said, the question is, who are you at the end of the day? That's what personal branding is. It's the message you're putting out. I think something that's been a struggle for me is that when you're asking yourself, who are you? And you decide on the answer, but then something that comes up that challenges that, how do you proceed? Where do you go from there? And that could be everything from, you know, having a career epiphany, something crazy happening like the world shutting down back in March and that changes your view of things and you know changes your values it changes what you prioritize I think also with personal branding something that's so important is positive self-talk being kind to yourself because obstacles are going to come up and challenges to who you are are going to come up and you don't need to be you know static you can be a dynamic person you're allowed to change and I think that's been a struggle for me because sometimes when I really latch on to who I am as a person I can become resistant to that change internally externally I'm pretty okay but you know adapting to that change internally and being okay with that and I've had a lot of conversations with friends about that and they've encountered that as well that's cool that's cool thank you thank you so uh, this is a, a quick uh Quick question. Uh, this, we'll go around quickly on this. Uh, who's your role model, Claudine? Yes, I would say my role model is my mom. I know that sounds basic, and in a way, I feel like I've struggled with this question because you know you get you get asked this your whole life in school, those little questions, and you know, I look up to my peers like. Honestly, my first person is my mom. And then I would say it's myself because I'm proud of myself and what I've done and how I've changed, developed as I've gotten older. And then older people, I mean, sometimes younger people don't know the older people. I know Oprah, she's really cool. So that's one of my other role models. And then, you know, we kind of see what our peers are doing. Victoria, Dakota, Rachel, like, there's so many young people doing great things. And I'm just like, if they're young and doing this, I can do it too. And I would say I feed off them and they inspire me. And my mom, she just instilled so much in me. So she's my number one role model. By the way, uh, I have a by the way. Um, I, I interviewed Claudine's uh, mom, Carla, because we met. Uh, a few weeks ago uh, at a closed track meet, uh, Claudine invited me to. 
Uh, it was still, we still wearing masks and stuff. It was, I don't know, four weeks ago. And, and I went to that meet and, and I met Carla and, and great chemistry. And, and she told me some stuff about herself. Uh, uh, the work she was doing with mental health in Atlantic City High Schools, which kind of blew me away. And I'm a groupie. Uh, if you guys don't know it, uh, I'm a huge groupie. And when your mom, Courtney, told me that a, a couple of weeks prior to the track meet, she had gotten a phone call uh, at six o'clock at night and she looked uh, at her cell phone and she didn't recognize the, the number, uh, but she answered it anyway. And it was Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey called your mom personally to thank her for the work she has done and the programs she has set up to support uh, and help uh, Atlantic City High School kids uh, with mental health issues because there's a lot of these issues floating around. And, uh, and, and that was it. Uh, I had an interviewer. Uh, I'm such a groupie. Um, and, and I did. It was great. It was a great uh, interview. Anyway, Donald, uh, your role model. Um, I, I've had the benefit of having many throughout my life. Uh, everybody from Billie Jean King when I was growing up because tennis was my sport. And I thought she was just the coolest athlete. Um, I went to a school that had a lot of phenomenal athletes. Uh, I knew Ed Moses, who was in your uh, triple jump field plotting. Uh, he was an amazing guy. Um, but I, I would say that um, the ones that really helped shape who I am uh, came about from my mom, who was a single woman raising her two sons. My grandmother helped. Uh, even though my father was in my life, he was in the foreign service, and so he and my parents divorced, and so I, he wasn't around that much. But my mom made sure that I was exposed to professional black men, and and it, it was kind of strange because I just thought everybody had people like this. I mean, I had, and they were all professional. I mean, all had advanced degrees, dentists, doctors, lawyers, you name it. And, you know, I played with their sons and daughters and I was around them. And so I had, you know, pictures of middle-class professional black men who were pillars of the community. You know, they all had family. Most of them stayed married a long time. And that was just my picture as to how it was supposed to be and how I was supposed to comport myself. There were one or two in my life that were probably more involved in my life. And one of them I mentioned before. Um, so I would I would point to that, but there were many others in the course of my life that you know that I really looked up to, and, and you know, and so it's it's a great question, you know. And then the follow-up question to think about is, you know, why were these particular people important to you in your life? What did you embody, and how can you carry it forward? And that's what I that's what I try to do when I think about my role models. Um, one in particular, he was really his own man. He was very authentic. And he was very crusty. He used a lot of foul language, but he knew when and how to use it appropriately. And so that taught me a lot about, about discernment. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Dakota. Yeah, so my role model, 
I mean, obviously there's a lot of different people I look up to and appreciate, but definitely my dad, um, because my parents, they divorced when I was in about third grade. And honestly, I just look up to him a lot because he ended up starting his own plumbing company. He's kind of an entrepreneur too, but I really embody the things that he taught me and the way he raised me at a young age. Um, you know, I, I owe um, my respect towards people, the perspective I have, the ability to look at a situation from someone else's shoes um, because of him and because of the way I was taught. Um, and not only that, he just taught me and showed me what it's like to be a selfless human being because I also have four other siblings and he, you know, he sacrificed a lot of what he wanted to provide for us and give us the life that he, he wanted us to have because he didn't really grow up having a lot of money himself. Um, and he, you know, he, he made that change and he didn't really have a good relationship with his dad either. And kind of answering your question, Donald, why do I look up to him? Well, it's because he wanted to make a change and he embodied not having a good relationship with his dad and said, okay, I'm going to change that. I'm going to make sure I have a great relationship with my son. And, you know, it's just, it's definitely motivational uh, just to show that you can be this person who has all this responsibility, but you still make the time for your kids. You still honestly just provide for them and stay positive all the time. So I really, really appreciate him for that. That's cool, Ricardo. Thank you. Uh, Rachel. Yeah, I think, I think we all get asked that question, especially in job interviews. Um, <laughs> but I think I don't necessarily have a specific person that's my role model. I think, you know, there's been a lot of people in my life, both professionally and personally, that have served as role models at the time or served kind of as a roadmap of things that I want to accomplish. Um, but I'm someone that really truly believes in someone having a purpose and someone having a why. Um, and for me, my why is so much geared towards helping people and being a good leader, being a good role model, and really just um, kind of like helping move along the narrative for not only like women, women in business, but also like young women of color as well, um, being Korean and Filipina. And I think that you know, knowing that I'm always going to try to push the boundary and I'm always trying to do something more for um, not only like my peers and the people that I work with, but also like my culture. Um, I think that that's kind of how I approach like the idea of role models and the idea of being a good leader in your community. Victoria. First and foremost, these answers are amazing. I feel like I'm on a TED Talk stage and I'm walking amazing, I'm watching amazing performer after amazing performer and thinking, oh my gosh, what am I gonna say? <laughs> Incredible. So first and foremost, I think my parents obviously have had a few, huge impact on my life. My mom was a communication major. She went to Rutgers. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't always the path I imagined for myself, but I think I kind of ended up in the same spot on the game of life as she did. So it's kind of nice. Uh, but then as far as a role model who I feel I've just always looked up to in life, mostly because I was a very uh, bookworm kid and this was someone I could read a lot about was Audrey Hepburn. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could about her because I was so fascinated by her life because she was involved in a lot of 
activism related things before she, you know, got big and got into movies and film. And she has two quotes I really, really love and I'd like to share. One of them was, and I just think this is fundamentally just a great value to always come back to. It's, there is no question that there is more obligation uh, that those who have should give to those who have nothing. And I think, you know, people get so caught up in money and fame and recognition that they forget to, you know, give back and keep the cycle going and, you know, pay it forward, whether it's success or time or whatever it is they've earned. And the other quote I really like from her is the best thing to hold on to in life is each other, because at the end of the day, we have so many materialistic ideals and so many lofty goals that might be just a smidge superficial, but it's okay because, you know, we're putting in the work for them. I think, you know, just remembering that having people close to you and having a support network is so very important and offering that support to them in return without expecting anything back. And there's something that someone said to me the other day, and it was such a great line. It was, you have to bring more to the table than just your plate. You know, you have to come willing to give and willing to take and, you know, just willing to witness the beauty and the tragedy of life in its entirety. So, and end of my point is that I just always looked up to Audrey Hepburn, number one, because I'm a huge film buff, number two, because I could read as much as I wanted about her and learn so much about her. And number three, she just has this timeless wisdom that I think still holds up today. We discussed this uh, a while back when you and I first Zoomed about Audrey Hepburn. I had just watched uh, a biography, I think on Netflix, uh, on Audrey Hepburn. Uh, I always admired her uh, as an actress and wondered why she didn't do more. But uh, the work she did later in life uh, with UNICEF is, is beyond. She was such a spokesperson. Um, uh, anyway. Uh, so we have two more uh, topics, uh, um, and uh, we're going to close after that. But uh, this one uh, is a real curiosity thing for me, um, uh, the effects of digital classrooms on students, your impressions, because you're involved, you guys, your, your uh, impressions, your experiences, and something I like to call future think, you think... Uh, do you like it? Do you think this is um, going to be around? Um, we'll talk about it. I'm, I'm kind of smiling at Victoria because she's never been on campus. I mean, seriously. So anyway, Dakota, uh, digital classrooms. Yeah, well, honestly, I, I understand. I respect that it's what had to be done in order to keep the school year moving forward. You know, it's a new adaptation to a new layer to the college education system. But I personally believe that you can never ever take away physical interaction with others um, and just put it on a Zoom call and you know make those students feel as if they're in that classroom. I mean, me personally, freshman year, when I would be in a classroom with hundreds of students or even just 10, 20, 30, it, that's just something you can't take away. You know, the interactions, having to raise your hand, and know that there's a hundred other people watching you. You know, it's just so different when you're when you're online or on a Zoom call. And 
I just really feel as if there's no, there's no way that that can be taken away. I mean, I just truly don't believe that even though we're all able to communicate now and it's, it's an amazing thing, you know, going to school every day through, through the internet, I just, I just don't believe that it's the same. And I don't think there's any way to, to make it the same. There's nothing that can change human interaction that the energy you feel from being in the same room with someone. I mean, yeah, we can still feel that through this Zoom call right now, but at the same time, you wanna be in a classroom with those students who you're seeing on Zoom every day. You wanna be able to, to maybe shake your teacher's hand or do things that you can't do on the internet. So, you know, I do, <clears throat> I, I believe they should give the option to people, whether they want it to be um, in person or online. You know, if you're not comfortable with going to the classroom, you can do it online. However, I just, I don't believe that it is a, a substitution. I mean, nothing can, can take that interaction away, in my opinion. Rachel. Yeah, um, you know, obviously I graduated a couple of years ago, uh, but even um, I like, I couldn't even compare. I can't even understand what you guys are going through. I think even, you know, knowing that a lot of people didn't get graduations, they didn't get proms is crazy to me um, because, you know, those are things that when I look back, they were amazing. Um, you know, I was a freshman athlete at Rutgers and I remember like stumbling down the stairs from Stonier, like right across from Brower and like, just like like crawling my way basically in to eat with my team because we have like 7 a.m. practice. Um, and just those being some of like the funniest moments um, when I went to college and, you know, being on campus, I was in RUSA, I was in a lot of other organizations and actually getting to like sit in student assembly. And I know Victoria, you probably like, you haven't been able to see it yet. It's really fun. Um, and it's very uh, entertaining and educational and, you know, football games um, were some of my favorite moments, like sporting events, whatever it was, like, those are some of the things that I think, um, you know, college is an education, but there is also this whole life experience that you go through when you do go to college and it grows you up a lot, you know, like having to live on your own, having to pay your own bills, you know, regulating your diet so you don't get the freshman 15. Um, but I think that there's so much that you guys are missing out on. Um, and the only thing I can compare it to is when I was a senior, I uh, interned with HBO Boxing's main events. And at that time, all my classes were remote, so I could still be an intern. And I didn't really interact as much with like a lot of students. I obviously only saw them in classes online and even professors, you know, I didn't have the relationship with them that I had my senior year that I did all the years before. Um, so I can't imagine what it's like to only know going online or even like in some people's cases today, like only going to work online. Um, I think that it's going to have a huge impact. And I think that, you know, as we start to get back a little bit, whether it be going back to the office, going back to classrooms, having like full normal practices and sporting events, um, it's going to change like the culture of the world and kind of change how we do school because I miss snow days um, and even like how we do work today. Marvin. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to how the switch to going back to in-person is going to be. But for how I experienced um, online my sophomore year, I had a spectrum of classes. I had some very small classes. There was only like nine people, maybe. Then I had medium classes. And then I had the large like lecture hall classes or what would be lecture hall classes. And honestly, when it comes to interaction with students, that definitely was on the negative side, but interaction with 
teachers, I feel like it kind of is easier over online because you can chat to them in the box during class. And then you could also, it's easier to stay after class to ask them questions because, you know, you won't have, like, even if it's a late class, it's not like, oh, they have to go get home. Like, you know, they're home, they're in Zoom. And it's just easier to get to the teacher. But for um, those breakout rooms, those breakout rooms were crucial. Nobody wants to talk in breakout rooms on Zoom. But in person, I feel like it's easier to talk in, in person and actually, you know, have interaction. But in the breakout rooms on Zoom, they will just stay silent the whole allotted time that the teacher gives. But yes, I'm looking forward to even like clubs, how Rachel mentioned, like extracurricular activities outside of um, academics. I was in a face modeling group this year and I was in it for my freshman year, but I didn't really get to get as involved as like a model because, you know, navigating freshman year track and stuff. But I did it this year as a model attending meetings every Monday and it was, you know, online. So I'm looking forward to see how that transition of being in person attending meetings will be. Funny, I'm taking notes as everyone's speaking because everyone's reminding me of different things. Claudine, I agree with you. Those breakout rooms can be the worst. I recall I had one math class where they encourage you to turn your camera on, but in every class, sometimes they don't require it, but most of mine did require it. Uh, so I'm in my math class. They put us into a small group. So I ask everyone, okay, what do you think about this problem? Dead silence everyone's cameras are off. I feel like I'm speaking to a brick wall, but what's worse is that I know there are people on the other side who can hear me and they're choosing not to say anything. However, I kind of had to keep reminding myself, you don't know what other people are going through. Someone could have a bad hair day. Someone's dog could have died. Who knows? I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but it happened pretty much every time. Uh, so to your point, Calvin, I have a very unique experience because I ended my senior year of high school online back in 2020. I say it like it's such a long time ago, back when I was a youngin, back when I was a child. No. <laughs> so I ended my senior year of high school online, which was very unsatisfactory because imagine, you know, last class of high school, click, done. And I'm just sitting there at my desk thinking, what do I do now? And you know, on one hand, it's good because any anxiety I felt about, you know, being in school during a global pandemic, I didn't have to worry from a safety standpoint. And also, I think something a lot of people don't think about, because a lot of people are probably in college by the point of, like, the people here wouldn't have thought about this, maybe, I didn't have to worry about lockdown drills as much. I don't know if that happens a lot in college, because again, I wasn't on campus, but we had lockdown drills all the time. And it was the most anxiety inducing thing ever, especially during the time of live school shootings. It's very scary, but that can't happen if no one's in school. So it's kind of a twisted side benefit. Um, I had my first class of college completely online. Something that boosted my spirits a lot was I had this incredibly whimsical, almost fantasy book-like character of a French teacher for my short fiction class. His name was Uri and I will never forget him. And that made me very happy. Um, but then one more kind of low for me was, uh, so I took this fellowship this past spring and it was lovely. However, I went to one event for the Paul Robeson Cultural Center back in February, which was, was unfortunately Zoom bombed. I had never seen anything like it before. I had experienced a Zoom bombing at a TikTok event once, 
but it was just audio. So it wasn't as uh, visceral and intense, but this one back in February was very alarming. It was, you know, a hate crime, very racist. And that was very traumatizing. And to, you know, get over the fear of like, oh, I have to, I have to zoom again. Now I have to get back into class. I had a RUSA meeting right after I thought, do I skip student government? What do I do? Because I kind of just panickedly closed the computer, opened it back up because I thought, okay, let me screenshot in case they need evidence for like the office of IT and like track down who these people are. So like I quickly opened it back up, screenshotted it, got out of there. And it was so alarming to experience that in my own home because you'd never think that would happen until it does. And I remember at Rusa, I was just really quiet. And then I brought it up at the end and people kept saying to me, we're working on something, we're working on something, but then nothing happened. So now finally, I'm, I had had enough a couple of weeks ago and I made my own bill. I was like, we keep saying we're going to do something, but we're not doing anything as much as I love my colleagues at Rusa. Sometimes, you know, you have to confront that. And so I kind of turned that pain of that online incident into action. But honestly, stuff like that feels kind of numbing, especially when, when you want to believe the most, the best in people. Uh, but then, you know, I'm very excited to be in person. I think there are a lot of benefits to online, as Claudine mentioned, but I think there can also be some dangers too, which is why people need to be so careful with security. So I'm sorry I went a little long there, but I think it's all important stuff. Donald, we, we kind of missed out, you and me. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I felt like survivor's guilt that my children were past all of that. And then I, I, I just felt horrible. And my daughter-in-law is a high school teacher and just watching what she went through, it's, it, it's, it was horrible. Um, I have mixed feelings. I mean, in a nutshell, I think distance learning, and I know there's distinctions that I don't understand very well, is great to transfer information and data. I'm not sure about learning. You know, I think learning happens through the interstices of academic life that you don't really get online. And I'd be interested in the studies on that. I, I do mentor a young engineering student from Rutgers. Ironically, it turns out I did, that wasn't a setup because of me and Calvin that just happened to be who I got. And uh, so she's she's never been on campus either. And she's now doing an internship at a space company. And so we've been talking back and forth. And so she's she's eager to get back um, because, you know, some of the issues are right. and others have mentioned. Um, but I, you know, but there's some positive sides. I mean, I think it's great to think that I could take a class from, let's say, a professor in England or Kenya, just like the, the students there could. And, I can be fully engaged and, and, and sort of to broaden, you know, the sort, you know, it doesn't matter where people are anymore to do stuff, you know, it's, you know, my son has never set foot, he's been working for over a year, he's never been in an office, right? Wow. He means people on software stuff. And so, but he's wow. a very special person like I am. So, I, I don't know, I, I think we'll figure out a new way of dealing with this, probably in a hybrid way, but I wouldn't replace my on-campus experience with this. And I'm Victoria, I, I mean, I feel sorry for never been on campus. Wow. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think it's a lot of unforeseen obstacles. Yeah. I hate to use the word unprecedented because we've probably heard it so much, but truly that's oh, what it yeah. was. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> Completely. So uh, our last 
topic, uh, and this I'll just throw out. Uh, and I'm actually gonna, uh, I'm actually like gonna call upon myself to say a few words. We're just gonna talk about impressions and thoughts uh, on the subject of networking. And and I'll start off because I met all of you, and you've all been transformative for me. I met all of you by networking. Uh, uh, and I became a, a teacher at Rutgers University because I was networking uh, 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 at the college center on College Avenue, at the student center. Uh, I was networking, talking to students, networking. So uh, to me, uh, networking, uh, and it, it's kind of funny, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, Dakota knows this, uh, I, I had a project I sat here and I decided to network and reach out. And that's how I found uh, all of you, excluding Donald, that was different, but I found all of you by networking uh, and met all of you uh, uh, by spending, and this is really OCD. This is, uh, and I probably need some help, uh, psychological help, because I sat here four hours a day, seven days a week, for two years, reaching out and networking and meeting interesting people, a lot of them were Rutgers people, but it, it was completely, totally transformative uh, in, in my life. Uh, and the other thing I'm going to close my little thing here is when I, I did teach two years ago, uh, the other thing I told the students is 70%, 70 percent, 70 percent of all the people who are hired in America is a direct result of, of who they know. And it doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it wrong, but it's a fact and who you know. So all that is a byproduct of having networked properly. So uh, Donald, I'll throw it over to you, your comments on networking. Yeah, thank you, Calvin. I, I'll just say that first, Networking is one of those terms and labels that could be viewed and received interestingly. It's, uh, it's really about relationships, hopefully authentic relationships. I have a chapter in the book called, I think it's called Am I Interviewing? And one of the points I try to make is, and I apologize for referencing that, but that's sort of now my Friday for looking at things, um, is, you know, you're always interviewing, right? So. The reason that 70% of the people who are hired are hired out of their networking connections is because they, they've already had the interview before they had the interview. You've heard the thing about the interviews sometimes over before you get in the room. That's absolutely true. Because as we were saying earlier, the narrative about you precedes you. I mean, let's just face it, you know, in a way, you know, I've interviewed all of you and you've interviewed me. I mean, I didn't say this, but I am a vice president of a company out of Boston and we do hire people and we do engage people and many of them are the skills that we have. So the next time, you know, the president says, hey, I really need somebody that can do this. Oh, I know a perfect person because I've met. You. So, I mean, it's, I don't have to go through the, you know, what are those online job things to get a million resumes from. So, so to cultivate those relationships, I think are important. And I think the only thing that's changed for me over the years is that instead of approaching networking or relationship building from what is it that I can get out of it, 
I approach it now more for what is it that I can give to it. Um, because it turns out that when I approach it from the lens of giving and sharing without expectation of anything in return, it, the paradox is that I get, and I don't even ask for it, but it's, I, I can't tell you how and why this works, but it does. But you can't do it for that reason. Does that make sense? I mean, it's sort of a paradox. You can't say, you know, look, the reason, you know, that I'm doing this is just because, you know, I love you guys and I want to do it. And I know that I'm going to get something in return. But I just want to do it because it feels great. It feels like, you know, I'm, I'm giving rather than just, you know, taking, right? I'm a giver, not a taker. The paradox is that when I come from that place, I, I get so much, it's almost overwhelming. So that, that's what I want to say about it. Rachel. Sorry, I want to mute. I have a head cold, so I didn't want to sneeze. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I think it is like just like you're saying. I think networking is a term that we've been using for so long, and I think it's it's overplayed, it's overused. People, you know, think sending one LinkedIn message is networking nowadays, but it really isn't. It is that like relationship building because you know when it comes to jobs, you said seventy percent of jobs are filled by people that you know, the hiring manager knows. It's so true. You know, I can attest to that, that when I was still working in the corporate world, um, every job I got was actually a result of knowing someone of, you know, networking, relationship building, et cetera. And I think it's very much that it's not necessarily anymore about like who you know, or even like who knows you. It's who do you have a relationship with that can talk about who you are, what you believe in, your purpose, um, like your body of work. And I think that, that's really where it's kind of shifted to. And when we talk about like our personal brand, even it is very much so like, how do you come across? Like, how does someone know what you're about or like who you really are? Um, and it's representing yourself well and showing your authentic self is a lot of how we build the relationship. And like you said, it's very much a give and take. Um, but if you focus a lot on the giving, it is more so like that person feels receptive to the relationship that they're getting something out of it and that it's genuine and the person coming across, whether it's digitally through a camera or even in person, um, that it's authentic and that they're cared about. Victoria. So I love networking and I'll tell you a small anecdote as to why. So I love film festivals and there's one that's pretty close to me. It's Two River Theater and it's the Mammoth Film Festival. And I wouldn't even go to see any movies, really. I would just go to the networking night because I love talking to people and I go to it every year. And I was very sad when they canceled it because of Corona, but I knew it was necessary. And I think that started back when I was maybe 15. So a picture of this 15 year old girl going around talking to all these directors and producers <laughs> and just chatting them up. And it's mostly, I just love, you know, brainstorming with people and hearing their stories, because I think on some level, we're a mosaic of all the people we've ever, you know, cared for or supported or learned about. I think little things find their way into our lives. And I think that, you know, to the point of it working well in a professional capacity, absolutely. And I think with regard to as far as, you know, getting jobs through those connections or getting opportunities through those connections, 
you're not only building a relationship, you're building trust because you're saying to that person, look, I'm willing to, you know, spend time talking with you or working on something with you. And with that time comes that trust. And I think those bonds are so important because they're very fulfilling and they're very conducive to, you know, following your passions and meeting people who will either become your teammates or your mentors. Fourteen. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that we touched on just lead into the factors of networking, having manners, your social media presence, just your presence in general, because somebody knows you and you leave an impression on them, they're going to want to you know, have you for this position or however it goes. So, I mean, that's a short saying, but that's just what I believe. Um, networking is just all about, you know, presenting yourself the best way you can be and hoping that you left a mark that they'll hit you up one day or you just, you know, hold the relationship so that they'll have you and, you know, lead you into a direction of success. Perfect. Dakota. <laughs> But yeah, it was, so, uh, last. yeah, first of all, yeah, I, I agree with all you guys. You brought up some amazing points. Donald Diochi stole the words right out of my mouth that networking is just this people hear the word networking and they get so scared. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to a networking event. But at the end of the day, you're just going and building relationships with people. You know, I truly believe that who you know is how you grow. And I also truly believe that givers win. So if you go into any relationship with a giver's mindset, you know, how can I help this person? Who in my network can I connect this person with? Um, you know, how can I help them succeed? What can I learn from them? What type of perspective can I get? That's honestly where the most opportunities come from, you know, and if you're not, you're not going into it expecting that opportunity. I mean, for me personally, I went to like literally every uh, in-person networking event possible my freshman year, just because like Victoria said, I just love, I love meeting people. I feel as if I'm progressing in my life each time I meet a new person. It's almost like when you unlock a new character in a video game, that's how I look at it. It's like, wow, this is another connection in my life. This is another person that I have that I can grow with. And just a, a cool little networking kind of story because um, I've just had so many just crazy full circle events. So Calvin introduced me to a Rutgers student in his network probably about six months ago. Um, and I just, you know, I connected with her. She's a marketer and obviously learned her story, uh, learn more about what she does. And then she reached out to me a month after and she said one of the, um, the marketing firms or this one lady who does marketing, she works with a financial firm um, called Oliver Lux in Mendham, and they're looking for someone to do lead generation. So she ended up connecting me with Allison, who works directly with the marketing firm. She connected me with the managing director, basically owner of the firm, and now they're a recurring client of mine. And to make it even more awesome, um, I'm a, so I'm a registered marketing partner with Mass Mutual New Jersey NYC, and they asked me if I had any graphic designers in my network. And who do you know? I recommended Gianna the person who recommended me to help me get that position. So I think networking is, it's just giving a helping hand to others. It's a very full circle thing. And it's, it's honestly pretty beautiful just 
learning about different people's perspectives. I just, I love it. And I think people need to stop being so scared about that word because we network all we're networking right now, you know, but if we called it a networking event, maybe we would have felt differently about it. So at the end of the day, it's one of the most powerful things. And, you know, your net worth, your network truly is your net worth. And that's not even in a monetary sense. That's just who you are as a person. So, yeah. Cool. So, uh, we've come to the conclusion of this. Uh, I, I would love to, to, to think and hope and, and expect you all are going to throw all this out there and, and I'll throw it out there. But this, the, the materials and in, in your spirit and your energy and your knowledge, and this is great stuff. Um, it really is. It, it's fabulous stuff. It's learning stuff. And, and I can't thank you all enough uh, for giving a chunk of your Friday afternoon, uh, uh, although it's cloudy uh, out here in Jersey and it'll be sunny in the 90s on Sunday. But really, uh, thank you so much. Maybe we are doing a trailblazing uh, event uh, um, and let's throw it out there. Uh, and there's a nice way for to close this. I, again, I, I really, truly thank you all for this. And, and, and as I've learned, who knows where this stuff goes uh, uh, and how it's received and, and the people. You know, there's an old saying, uh, 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 he who saves a life saves the world. So if all of us have influence and, and we're able to influence and help someone, well, that's pretty good stuff. It really is. Uh, and it's a nice way for me to close this, to, to read something from, from Manners. And one of the things that bonded, that continues the bond of Donald and I, when I was reading uh, on page 16, Donald's mother had written something uh, on a folder. Uh, and she, Donald's mother had quoted uh, a line from the poet John Greenleaf Whittier. And, and I'm going to read that. It's just one line, but I want to read it. But what really moved me is he's one of my favorite poets. And I don't have too many favorite poets. And so that was a, a, an element of synchronicity. But and here's the best way to close. Uh, it, it's a line from John Greenleaf Whittier. Quote, for all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these it might have been. Unquote. Um, and, and that's just a great, uh, that's just a great, it's like a Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg way of closing this wonderful, uh, panel. So I thank you all, uh, so much. Uh, I'm saying this now, all your information, contact information will be flashing on the screen every couple of minutes. Uh, thanks to Claudine. Um, and, and, uh, you all again, um, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much. And, um, I'm going to say maybe to be re repeated, you know, come back. I'm actually raising my hand if you'll indulge me for a minute. Uh, sure. first of all, that quote was about what she wrote it was on the cover of an envelope and in the envelope to a photograph that I had seen. And there were photographs of my older brother who died 
two months before I was born. So I never knew him. And um, it, every time I read that, I still cry even to this day. What, what I would like, if you can just indulge me for a second, is uh, first of all, I want, uh, I don't know if I have everybody's mailing address, but you all or each are going to get a signed copy of my book. Plus, um, I have made special bookmarkers of all of my mother's cardinal rules. Like number one is make peace with your past so it won't screw up the present. This is a photograph of my mother. So I would like to send that to you as my small token of appreciation for your letting me into the club. I'll send you their emails. Thank you. And Thank I, you so much, Donald. I'll mail that, mail that to you. And then I, I, if we have time, the one question that was just burning for me from each of you is if, if there's one thing in the context of boomers versus Zers and millennials, if there's one thing you would want us to know with respect to our relationship with you, what would that be? What do we need to hear from you that uh, that we need to hear? That's think, great. Oh, I was going to say, I think something I've encountered, um, like I'm a millennial technically, but I've been sitting on a lot of boards with Gen Zers and been working with them. I think um, age doesn't matter. I think that, you know, there is kind of a wall between like boomers and Gen Zers, millennials being kind of in the middle, but um, age doesn't really matter. It's a lot about experience and it's also about like how you think and who you are. And I think, um, you know, sometimes boomers can discredit what we've accomplished, millennials or Gen Zers. And I think that um, that's something that we both need to work on is that age does not matter. Thank you. Yeah. At the end of the day, we all just need to to work together because Calvin says it best. At the end of the day, we're just one species. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. At the end of the day, we just need to work together to make this world a better place and just make humanity better for everyone. That's that's really it. I wholeheartedly agree with what's been said. And it's funny because that exact question to me was somewhat in some form asked yesterday because I was on a call with this company that gets a pulse on Gen Z trends. And they said, how real do you think the boomer zoomer conflict is? Do you think it's real? Do you think there's malice behind it? I said, no, I don't think there's malice behind it. I think at the end of the day, both sides of that generally generational gap just need to know that, you know, there's nothing but respect there. And I think there would be even more respect if, you know, Gen Z felt they were not being judged by their age, but by the strength of their character. And to Rachel's point, their experience, because I can't tell you how many times, regardless of I was on this commercial set, this was pre-COVID, but I was on a commercial set and, uh, I felt like there was a lot of, you know, respect in the room. I felt like I was kind of a colleague. And then this one woman says to me, oh, where'd you go to college? Like, what was your, what was your degree? Da, da, da. I go, oh, I haven't graduated high school yet. And then the entire mood in the room shifted. And at first I thought she was impressed, but then she kind of just stopped talking to me <laughs> because I felt like she didn't know how to connect because there was such an age gap. And I tried my best, but point being, I think just I would want, you know, maybe an older generation to know that 
if you're going to judge me at all, which I hope you do, I hope you hold me accountable for the things that I do and the things I want to do. It's to judge me by the strength of my character and my experience. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, my one word is just understanding. I think we just need to understand our differences, but also understand that there are some commonalities because I don't know where the divide actually comes into play, but there should be values that have been passed down from generation to, to generation that can connect us and just also just like make us understand each other. But like, obviously there are going to be differences, but we just need to, you know, as going back to Dakota said, we're all people, we're all species, we all can, you know, connect and still make the world better, even though we're different generations. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank that was a great, uh, that was a great question, uh, comment, Donald. Uh, I'm a big fan of that uh, intergenerational uh, stuff. Uh, and, and I talk about it all the time, you know, the half century, uh, at least, uh, with, and if not more. So uh, it's to be able to bridge uh, and communicate uh, is a gift. Um, and I just wrote about this stuff the other night, uh, watching a movie um, from 1955 called Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean, who I'm sure none of you, you, you all right, so you know, okay. So it was Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean, Natalie Wood, uh, and, and the theme of that movie was generational gap, a lack of communication between James Dean and his father and his mother. There's just no communication and powerful, powerful, uh, powerful movie with a powerful message. And, and I, I kind of stuck that in the back of my head and, and, and going forward, I never wanted to have uh, a communication gap with anybody. Uh, um, and, 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 and I marvel that I can talk to you guys, you know, um, uh, and even Donald, who's way younger than me. Uh, so um, this has been great. Uh, again, um, thanking you all so much. And, and I hope we've done a, a trailblazing event here and the knowledge that you've shared and the examples and the role models. Uh, this is great stuff. And let's spread the word and maybe we can reassemble. Um, so thank you all. Uh, and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.